Hey, good morning, y'all. Um, if I haven't met you yet or this is your first time here, I'm Matt, I'm pastor here at Midtown West, and glad that you're here worshiping with us. We are starting a new series today. Uh, we're going to go through the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. And uh, why are we laughing about that? I know why we're laughing. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we are, we are here because you have called us here. We're actually here uh, much deeper than that. We're here because you've created us uh, for your purposes. And you come out of the gates swinging in your word about uh, that, that all of life is oriented around you. And we thank you for that. And we ask that you would do whatever work necessary in our hearts and our minds this morning to... Uh, melt any calluses toward you to tear down any walls that we have built up because of pain or anger that we have experienced and have put that on you when, when maybe it belongs somewhere else. And, and Lord, give us the courage we need to engage with you if, if we do have anger uh, towards you, that we would bring it to you and not stuff it. And so, Father, uh, this morning as we continue to worship you through uh, the preaching of your word, would you just speak to us through your spirit? Would you do what only you can do and speak to our hearts that we might love you, that we might see you more clearly, that we might uh, follow you, we might be transformed and be set free? And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we... I was thinking about this this week as we, we talk about this series. It's basically like origins, and we love origin stories. G give, me, give me some examples of origin stories. Hmm? Wolverine. Wolverine. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah. Batman. Yeah. Every, all the, the superhero. We love those, like... We, we want to get like a good trilogy and then we want to go back and hear about how they became who they were. Uh, but I was thinking too about like what other origin story, when I say origin story, it's funny that that's all what I thought about was like superheroes, but um, there's all kinds of origin stories. How did organizations begin? How did people get their start? You know, and I'm thinking about that this week and thinking why, why do we love origin stories? Why do we care about those? And as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking, you know, it's, we, we want to understand, we want to know the truth, we want to be able to understand, we want to see purpose. You know, organizations that we're a part of, we care about the history of those organizations. How did they start? Why did they start? What have they done? What am I a part of now because I'm a part of this organization because I went to this university or I'm in this exclusive club or whatever it is. But, you know, as we, we think about origins, uh, really behind all of this, we're looking for truth and we're looking for purpose and we're looking for meaning. And uh, that is how we're wired. That's hardwired into us is we desire those things. We're asking questions. Why? You know, wh why is this person this way? Why am I this way? Why are things the way that they are? And we're, we're so wired for meaning. But I'll also throw something else out there. Uh, we also really want control. <laughs> I, I want to understand things. I want to grow in knowledge so that I can sort of make life work 
on my own. And uh, a great example of that is kind of these things together, these, these search for meaning and search for truth and search for purpose, but also this like search for control uh, is seen in the origin of the universe, deciding, you know, how did all of this come to be? And so throughout the ages, uh, first of all, it's just interesting. Why do we care? Right? You ever stop and think about that? Like, why do, if, if we're alive in 2023 AD, why do we care about the origins of the universe? Why are people, why are scientists spending so much time trying to figure out why, why the world began? But we are. And man has been trying to explain the origins of the universe uh, apart from God for ages. And I just thought this was, this was really important as we jump right into Genesis and the, the beginning of all things. Um, so I'm not going to go into, into the weeds, even though I could if I wanted to. Um, I know so much about science. <laughs> um, for a long time, there was this theory of the steady state universe, that the, there really was no beginning, that it just always was. And, and then in the 1950s, the popularization of what different people had been sort of melding together, finally was the, coin, the term was coined the Big Bang Theory, that there was this moment where things collided together and then life began. And then in the 1980s, Stephen Hawking, who is probably one of the most brilliant minds ever to live, um, had this proposal where he tried to deal with the problems in the Big Bang Theory, because uh, there were a lot of people in these fields related to the origins of the universe and science that were not Christians. They, you know, who knows where they were spiritually, but they were like, the, the Big Bang Theory has problems, and we feel like there's an issue there, and, and we're trying to resolve these issues, uh, because for one, we, to explain the origins of the universe with the coming together of materials, we still have to explain and account for where those materials came from. And so Stephen Hawking came up with this uh, no boundaries proposal in the 80s where he talked about how they're kind of, it was kind of both somehow, like the, there was a point where things came together, but then there was like, there always was. And it's, I mean, it's beyond my pay grade to uh, try to talk in depth about this proposal. But I was reading this article in Quantum Magazine, which I, it's my favorite magazine. Um, <laughs> Okay, and so uh, they say in this article, there's now, uh, this was like 2017, but there's been a, a challenge from a lot of scientists in this field. There's a growing number of people who are saying, even Stephen Hawking's proposal of how this all came to be in the 1980s, we were so enamored with this proposal. We felt like it solved so many issues, resolved so many issues, uh, and the origin of the universe uh, has, has really come under fire. And... It says in this article that the proposal is only viable, listen, to this, this is amazing, if a universe that curves out of a dimensionless point in the way Hawking imagined naturally grows into a universe like ours. That's the only way this proposal is viable. And Hawking argued that indeed it would. And listen to this. Keep in mind the word universe means all space and time and all the matter contained therein, okay? So all humanity has ever really known and lived in one universe, okay? Stephen Hawking says it will work like this because universes, plural, with no boundaries, will tend to be huge, breathtakingly smooth, impressively flat, and expanding, just like the universe that we live in. Okay, I respect Stephen Hawking, 
but just the gravity of the arrogance to talk about other universes when I have only lived in the time, space, and matter of the universe that we are now all contained in, and to say with authority, oh yeah, yeah, universes will do that. Yeah, they'll be really smooth, they'll be really flat, it's gonna, yes, trust me. What? Like, I, I, can we just acknowledge that? And this is not like, please stop reading science textbooks and go watch Little House on the Prairie. That's not what I'm saying. But we, we need to deal with the human arrogance, even of the most brilliant minds, to speak authoritatively about some other dimension outside of the time and space and reality that we live in. That is preposterous. That is absolutely preposterous. And the, the man, this man whose last name is Turek, who proposed, he, he ran numbers and did studies with the help of new mathematical techniques. He actually worked with Stephen Hawking in the 80s when he was coming up with this no boundary proposal. And in a tw 2017 paper, he says, quote, we discovered that Hawking's proposal failed miserably. It's just not possible quantum mechanically for a universe to start in the way that they imagined. Why do we start with this? Why am I telling you this? Because we live in a time, maybe it's always been like this, where, um, are there any, <laughs> I don't wanna ask this, are there any people in the room who really love Santa Claus? If you raise your hand for me. <laughs> Harley, I think you're safe, okay, good. Um, it's, it's sort of like, we have this um, coming and going authority of scripture in our lives. And when we get to places like Genesis 1 and the origins of the universe, it's a little bit like Santa Claus. It's like, man, I re it's really fun to believe, but I really don't. And so we then begin becomes this like, devolving, separating view of scripture and reality and the material world that we live in. And we read textbooks that speak very definitively about things that are maybe true, but, but not quite as definitive as, as they're made out to be, even amongst scientists in the field who care nothing for God. You know, there's so much disagreement about all these things. Um, that we just have to start here. If, if we're going to honestly assess the truth of Scripture, and we believe that, that Scripture is God's inerrant, eternal word on all matters to which it speaks, we cannot have a caveat for certain chapters of that Scripture and to say, well, this is, a, this is a fun, imaginary fairy tale part, and then there's some other real parts that really help me live life. Okay, that's, that's not what we're doing. So we're going to start here. And, and the reason I tell you that story is because there are all these, um, yeah, there are all these theories, all of these ideas moving, swirling, being proved, being disproved. Everyone in the world believes that the earth is flat, and then we discover that it's not. And everyone believes that everything revolves around the earth, and now it all revolves around the sun. And and now, like, that is continuing through the ages and, and the ups and the downs, and we're not sure. We're totally sure. Actually, we're totally wrong. And so I, I want to just read this, the last thing, before we jump into it. 
a man named Marcelo Gleiser, who is a theoretical physicist, he's very decorated at Dartmouth University, wrote in this article, it was really a plea, May of 2022, uh, a plea for humility. And he says this, and this man, to my knowledge, is not a Christian or even uh, believes in God. He says, science's job is to develop explanations without recourse to divine intervention. So already, we're, we're limiting the area. We use the laws of nature as our blueprint. This limitation makes it a huge conceptual challenge for science to describe the origin of the universe. If the universe emerged by itself, it was caused by an uncaused cause. It kicked into existence without a source to precede it. It does not seem to me that science as it is formulated now can answer the question of the origin of the universe. What it can do is furnish models that describe possible scenarios. These models are excellent tools that we can use to push the boundaries of knowledge to earlier and earlier times in the hope that observations and data will guide us further. However, this is very different from explaining the origin of life. To explain the origin of everything, we need a science capable of explaining itself and the origin of its laws. We need a meta-theory that explains the origin of all theories. And what he is saying, what I'm saying, is um, this whole thing of, of faith versus science is total garbage. That is, that is a false dichotomy. I don't know who set that up. Science is a discipline, just like any other discipline that exists in service to the creator God who made everything that we see and everything that we don't see. And so the question is not, what does science say versus what does God say? The question is, who am I answerable to? Who speaks authoritatively to me? And really, there's only two answers. Either the God of the universe who created and sustains all things is the one who speaks authoritatively to me, and everything else is subjected to him and his word. Or man speaks authoritatively. And what I find and what I discover and what I decide apart from him is, is the answer. And so God's word is infallible and eternal. What it speaks to, it speaks to authoritatively, and it is, is unchanging. Man's interpretation of God's word is fallible. We can learn, we can grow, we can see where I thought God's word said this, and now I realize that I am wrong. Just like science and all of the many disciplines within science, the sciences and, and all the other disciplines known to man, we can discover things in those disciplines and be wrong. But the question at the end of the day is, what am I resting on? What is my framework through which I see all of life? And anyone will tell you, whether they are Christian or not, whether they believe in any transcendent being or not, 
is that I don't care who you are or what you believe, we all operate within a worldview or a framework that we see the world through. It's this lens that we see the world through and we take all the evidence and information and plug it into that worldview. And really, again, at bottom, there are two worldviews. There is a transcendent creator, all-powerful God, or there is not. And so as we look at Genesis 1 and everything that follows, as we look at every chapter of every book of Scripture that there is, that is the question, is will we submit ourselves to God's word, or will we demand that his word is submitted to my understanding? So we go back to origins in this study, in this series we go back to the intelligent, personal, relational, powerful, purposeful being who created all of humanity and the cosmos that we inhabit. And of him, not ourselves, of him we ask, who are you? What do you want? What am I here for? Why are things the way they are? And ultimately, how should I live? So Genesis 1 through 12 is our origin story. And when I say our, I don't just mean the people in this room or the people who follow Jesus Christ. I mean all of humanity and the cosmos that we inhabit. It is our origin story. And the, the, the first three chapters of the story of human history are found in the first three chapters of Genesis. Creation, fall, redemption. It's all right here in the beginning. Here in these chapters, we learn about God. We learn about the universe. We learn about earth, man, suffering, love, morality, justice, good, evil, relationships, sexuality, life, death, purpose. It's all here. So this is where we begin. And I just thought this was interesting as we, as we get into the text this morning. Who wrote Genesis. The answer is the Holy Spirit wrote Genesis through Moses. And this, uh, this is really cool. So the book of Moses is referring, when you hear that phrase, the book of Moses, that's referring to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Second Chronicles 34, 14 says, the book of the law, talking about the book of Moses, the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. This is God's word given to his people for all ages through the Holy Spirit, through the Lord. In Mark, Jesus calls Moses the author of Exodus. And this is really cool. John 7, Jesus says, God gave you circumcision through Moses. Here's what's interesting about that. God gave circumcision through Abraham. And we read about it in Genesis 17, before Moses was ever alive. So why did Jesus say, God gave you circumcision through Moses? Because he gave the hearers of his word the word about circumcision through Moses, because Moses is the one who wrote it down. So here we have this book written by Moses, written by the Holy Spirit through Moses to God's people for all time. And so why does that matter? Because where scripture speaks, it is infallible. It is not trapped in time. Moses is not the ultimate author of Genesis. The Holy Spirit is. It's not trapped in time. It's not limited to the understanding of the human authors who wrote it. It's not limited to the understanding of men of a certain culture. 
It is the Holy Spirit, his word written to his people for all time. And it's to this authoritative word of origins that we now come. And our scripture passage for today is Genesis 1-1. And I'm going to read it for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the word of the Lord given to us. I would love to say, let's, let's start something. Do we want to say amen or thanks be to God? Let's vote. Let's just decide this right now. <laughs> Who wants to say thanks be to God after we read scripture? Okay. That's pretty good. Who wants to say amen? Yeah. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Let's just start this now at Midtown West. Okay, I'm going to read it one more time, and we're going to say thanks be to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the word of the Lord. I love that. Okay, we're in. Okay, so a, a couple things. God created everything that exists, both seen and unseen, material and immaterial, when this verse says the heavens and the earth, that is what's called a mirrorism. And in Hebrew, they use that to basically say the totality, the heavens, the earth and everything above and below and in between. He created everything. So the very first line in scripture is this radical claim of ownership and lordship that centers us around God and not ourselves. In the beginning, God created everything. So let's orient ourselves to this creator God. The universe belongs to God because he created it. I belong to God. My body belongs to God. My mind belongs to God. My wealth belongs to God. My children belong to God. Colossians 1.16, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. So let that lead us into a posture as we go through this series, but also in life of humility, of curiosity, of listening more than speaking of not saying, I know, I know, I know. If we look at the books of wisdom, the wisdom literature of scripture, just listen to the, the beginning of each of these wisdom books. Proverbs 1.1, 1, 1, the fear of the Lord. And, and that phrase, the fear of the Lord, is like, I'm living in the reality that there is a powerful, mighty, creative, all-wise, all-knowing God that exists and he created everything and he sustains everything, including me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We cannot be wise apart from living in that reality and that being the framework through which we see and study everything. Psalm one, the first, the first Psalm in all the Psalms basically says this to align with God's reality and his ways that's how you will find life. And if you don't, you won't. Ecclesiastes 1, to seek life apart from God 
is meaningless, is striving after the wind, and is weariness. I feel that. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning tells us there, there is a beginning. There's a beginning right here of time, of space, of matter. And a beginning implies an end. And the, the word that's used for beginning, the Hebrew word there, is actually tends to mean more often than not, it's the first part of things to come. So when it says in the beginning, it's not just like, hey, look back at this random point in time. It's look at the beginning that is connected and related to all the things that are come after it. In the beginning. A beginning implies an end. Think about this. There, there is an eternity outside of time that predates time and that postdates time, if we can even say it like that. Time is only necessary when things are winding down. Have you ever thought about that? When things stay in a constant state and there is no measurable change, there's no need for time because there's nothing to measure. Time is only necessary when there's death. Isaiah 46.10 says this, He declares the end from the beginning, from ancient times things not yet done, saying, I will accomplish my purpose. There is purpose here to everything. Because there is a beginning and an end, and we find ourselves in a story, we find ourselves in a reality, the will of God controlling and overseeing and moving this reality to an end, I can take solace, you can take solace in the fact that nothing is without meaning. There is nothing without purpose in my life, especially our suffering. We are not just floating, as, as one poet said, um, all of humanity and all of, of human history is not just this candle that was lit and then is snuffed out. That there is movement, there is purpose in this world and in our lives, even if we can't understand it all, there is purpose. And the fact that this story has an author and it's not me frees me from believing and living like everything is about me. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to do that, but then the reality is like I am just worn out. Ecclesiastes 1, it's weariness to make my life all about me because I don't have what it takes to do that. There is a beautiful rest that comes from me being able to say, I'm not the main character of this story and I'm not the one writing this story and I can just be a part of it. Thank God for the freedom of that. And then finally, the fact that we're talking about this God who is there at the creation of all things, he is the only preexistent one. He alone is the only one who can authoritatively speak about the beginning of all things. I cannot do that. You cannot do that. Stephen Hawking cannot do that. Hebrews 11.3 says this, By faith... 
We understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We may never discover as, as a human race exactly how the Lord created and the timing of all of this, but that's okay. We don't have to. We can explore it. There's nothing wrong with exploring it. There's nothing wrong with throwing out theories and trying to figure out more and learn more from this beautiful world full of information that he's given us. But again, it does come back down to the, the original decision. Is, does he define reality? Is his word speak authoritatively? Am I beholden to his word or not? And we're free to go define reality on our terms. Albert Einstein, who, to everyone's knowledge, uh, died apart from the Lord, said, faith is extra logical, but it's still rational. And he's saying the same thing. Look, you, you, that's the way the human mind works. You have to start from somewhere. You have to start with an understanding of what you think reality is like. You don't, you're not just totally neutral discovering everything for yourself. You come preloaded. <laughs> And it's either going to be to see the world in a framework of this creator, personal God, or not. And we just stop here and ask, why does evil, suffering, and death bother us? If we're just a candle in the wind that eventually is snuffed out and things just go dark, why do these things bother us so much? Why do these things tear at us? Our hearts and our minds betray us. There must be a good, moral, just, wise, eternal, relational being who created all of this, who built a morality, a justice, a love, an eternity into our hearts and our minds and our souls in this world. Now, we can ask questions. Why do you allow things to happen? That's a valid question. You know, whether that's a healthy question depends on how we ask it. But the fact that all of this stuff bothers us and that we are fighting for justice and we are fighting for our understanding of what it is to, to be good and do good means that someone who was a relational personal being who had a conception of the good, of the wisdom, set all of this in motion. And here's something really, really cool about what's going on before Genesis 1-1, before the foundation of everything. And this is where we'll end. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What this means is that the one who created all things, the one who sustains all things, knew from before the foundation of the world how things were going to go, and he made a way for all of his people to be his. 
It means that in infinite grace and in infinite love and in infinite wisdom, he knew that those he created would rebel against him and try to find life and define life apart from him and try to talk authoritatively about universes upon universes that don't exist. Even so, his love is unfathomable uh, in that he limited himself to come to this earth to live as one of us, to die in our place, so that we could be redeemed, not just redeemed and saved from some terrible fate, but we could be reunified to him, that we could become adopted as sons and daughters of the living God who created and sustains everything that that God is the one that we look to. That God is the one who created all things. That God, whether we understand or not why things are the way that they are, why situations in my life are the way that they are, why loved ones are suffering the way that they are, I don't have all the answers for that. We don't have all the answers for that. But we do know that the one who created all things is presiding over all things. And he is good, and he is full of love, and he is full of grace, and he is full of purpose. And so that is where we just have to submit to him and say, Lord, we are not you. We don't understand how all of this works together. We, we don't understand how all of this could be good. But the fact that you are allowing things to continue to unfold means that you are continuing to work in the universe that you created and in the people whose souls you created. And we are looking to you to say, how do you want us to live in this universe? How, what do you want us to know about you? What do you want us to know about ourselves? And how do you want us to live in relationship with you? And the one who sustains, the one who creates, the one who sustains, will keep us to the end. And he will carry us as we walk all the days of our lives, and he will carry us through this series as we come to him and say, Lord, would you forgive us for trying to define reality apart from you? And would you lead us to you who, who is ultimate reality and lead us to life in you? And he will.